Welcome to session seven of the Inquirer's classes, in which we will talk about the life of prayer. The sacramental approach to the Christian faith is rooted in the Incarnation. As St. John says, quote, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Therefore, what we do in our bodies matters. Faith is not something stuck away in the mind or soul in such a way that it can be separated from the activities of daily life. The Word must become flesh in our lives so that our behavior reflects our faith. The call to discipleship teaches us this. Jesus said to Matthew, quote, follow me. When Matthew arose and followed him, he began a new way of life. Following Jesus meant much more than simply adopting certain points of doctrine. The same point is made by the New Testament word frequently used to describe the Christian life. Colossians says, quote, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. A quick check of the concordance reveals more than two dozen references to one's walk. One can walk in darkness or one can walk in light. Our walk is our manner of life. It is the way we go about living from day to day. The beginning of our daily discipleship, our daily walk with Christ, is prayer. By nature, we are sinners. This means that apart from the grace of God, we are not able to rise above the limitations of a fallen nature and do the will of God. The grace of God comes to us through the sacraments and prayer. Grace enables us to walk in the light. We become by grace what Jesus is by nature. Without grace, we remain what we are by nature. If we neglect the life of prayer and sacramental grace, the Christian life is reduced to a merely human attempt to obey moral rules. This is the source of much frustration in the Christian life. People try, by mere human effort and willpower, to obey the moral commandments. They fail, try harder, and fail again. They end up making compromises rather than pursuing holiness. Many people think that to be a Christian means merely to try to be good. This is wrong. To be a Christian is to live in communion with the Father through the Son in the Holy Spirit. This living relationship begins in baptism and is renewed and experienced through Holy Communion and prayer. Changed or holy behavior is the fruit, the consequence of this living relationship. This is why we begin the week in prayer with the Eucharist on Sunday, which is the first day of the week. We begin the week by remembering who we are in Christ, by confessing our sins and receiving grace. Then and only then are we prepared to do all such good works as God has prepared for us to walk in as our Thanksgiving prayer tells us, which is based on a passage in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Likewise, we need to begin each day with prayer and to integrate patterns of prayer into the very fabric of daily life. As prayer becomes habitual, we will find that our behavior is transformed as a consequence. 
There is a history of the practice of daily prayer in the Bible and in the church. In the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 6, God instructed the people of Israel to teach the commandments diligently to their children. Quote, When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Jewish tradition interpreted this as four daily times for instruction. The Jewish tradition observed fixed hours of prayer, morning, noon, and night. We can see this practice reflected in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, and in Acts chapter 10, verse 3, verse 9, and verse 30. The early church took over this Jewish tradition and developed it by expanding the hours of daily prayer from 3 to 7, following the verse in Psalm 119, uh, verse 64, which says, quote, Seven times a day do I praise thee. During the Reformation, the Book of Common Prayer reduced the seven monastic hours of prayer to two, morning and evening prayer, in order to put them within the reach of the average Christian. The idea was to enable all the members of the church to participate in her daily life of prayer. Another foundation of the Reformation was the translation of the Bible into the language of the people. During the Middle Ages, the only Bible available to most people was the Latin Vulgate, which few people understood. It was the goal of the great English Bible translator William Tyndale that the plowman of his day would know more Bible than was standard for the clerics. The prayer book has a lectionary for daily Bible reading at morning and evening prayer, and this reading of the Bible by the average Christian remains an ideal of Anglican faith and practice. Thus, the foundation for daily prayer in the Anglican tradition is morning and evening prayer. We refer to morning and evening prayer as, quote, the daily offices. And these daily offices include several key elements. First, these offices begin with opening sentences of Scripture that highlight the seasonal themes of the church year. Central to the daily offices is the daily reading of the Psalms. More accurately, the Psalms are prayed. The praying of the Psalms has always been the heart and soul of the daily office. The Psalms are prayed in the light of their fulfillment in Christ and in the light of our membership in the body of Christ. Our spiritual battle is experienced and prayed through in the light of Christ's triumph. The constant petitions against our enemies are applied not only to our visible adversaries, but also, and perhaps primarily, to the enemies of the soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The Psalms contain depths of meaning that continue to unfold over a lifetime of prayer. Another central feature of the daily offices is two Bible lessons at each office, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. The daily lessons are tied into the themes of the church year and so highlight the church calendar and the experience of the church year. The lessons for each day are listed in the lectionary in the beginning of the prayer book. 
following the lectionary will cause one to read through the Bible each year, with a few exceptions. The lectionary skips some sections in order to provide lessons from the Old Testament that are not unduly long. One can note where sections are skipped and simply read the skipped sections as well. Nonetheless, if one reads the lectionary as is, one will still cover the major points and themes of the Bible and will read much more scripture than one would otherwise read. A fourth element of the office is canticles of praise that give us a lofty and beautiful language with which to praise God. The canticles of praise in the prayer book offices each express biblical themes that can be applied to the life of each Christian. For example, the canticle which is entitled Benedictus S. at morning prayer is from the song of the three children, Daniel's three friends who were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. They sang praise to God in the midst of their fiery trial. So we can sing Benedictus S., mindful of how God delivers us from our various afflictions. The daily offices have a form for confession of sin and a general thanksgiving. These remind us and give us opportunity daily to confess our sins and give thanks to God. The daily offices include the regular recitation of the Creed, usually at morning and evening prayer of the Apostles' Creed, and the Lord's Prayer. A feature of the daily offices is the use of collects or prayers that highlight the feast day or season or provide a reflection on a significant theological theme. Also, the habit of praying the daily offices provides an opportunity to pray for our own needs and for the needs of others. Each Christian should maintain a prayer list, a list of people and causes for which you are praying. This is part of your work as a member of the body. The daily offices provide a regular time to offer up names and causes to God. Your list should not be too long, and you should renew the names weekly or monthly. The daily offices also provide a form of common prayer. Each Christian can participate in the common prayer life of the church. We read common lessons and experience in common the themes of the church year, which creates a basis for fellowship and reflects the communion of the saints as opposed to the ideal of to each his own. This highlights the truth that even when we pray alone, we pray as members of the church. Thus, the language of liturgy is corporate. Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father. In the office, we pray using the words, Our and We. Each of us adds our individual contribution to the corporate prayer of the church. We can touch on several benefits of reading the daily offices as a habit of life. First, we begin to pray habitually. Many Christians have not been taught to develop habits of prayer. Consequently, prayer is offered only when some need arises or when one feels like praying. As the desire to pray diminishes, so does the practice of prayer. The discipline of the offices gives us a form like a routine of exercise that we can follow whether we feel like it or not. The daily offices makes prayer, make prayer a normal and natural part of the day, like getting up and getting dressed. Prayer ought to be this normal and natural in the Christian life. 
A second benefit of reading of the daily offices is that we develop a language of prayer and praise. As one habitually prays the psalms and the canticles of the offices that become fixed in one's memory, one can use them for prayer at any time, and that beautiful language of the prayer book can carry the weight of one's own deepest uh, longings. A third benefit of the daily offices is that we establish a regular pattern for Bible reading. The only way to learn what the Bible teaches is to read it. The only way to read it is to read it regularly and habitually. Habitual reading provides an opportunity for God to speak to us through his word each day. A fourth benefit of the daily offices is that we achieve greater balance in the life of prayer. A common mnemonic for prayer is A-C-T-S, A for adoration, C for confession, T for thanksgiving, and S for supplication, or asking God for things. A healthy life of prayer will continually cover all this ground. It is not necessary that we pray in each category every time we pray, but our life of prayer should be characterized by all these aspects. Left to our own devices, we tend to be unbalanced. Morning and evening prayer provide forms for each of these aspects of prayer. If, for example, one uses the general confession, the prayer for all conditions of men, and the thanksgiving each day, one has covered the basic themes of prayer. Adoration in the Psalms and Canticles, confession in the confession, thanksgiving in the thanksgiving and supplication, or intercession in the uh, prayer for all sorts and conditions of men. Thus, we have balance in the life of prayer. Other issues to uh, address in the context of, of discussion of the daily offices. The point of liturgical prayer is not mere recitation. The goal of liturgical prayer is to make the prayers of the daily offices one's own prayers. The Church's liturgy provides us with a language of prayer to learn so that we can cease thinking about praying and actually pray. As one learns the prayers of the daily offices, they will become prayers of the heart. The confession will express our penitence far better than our own made-up words day by day. Todayum, benedictus est, benedictus, magnificat, and nuctaminus will become our own hymns of praise. The fixed prayers are aids to true devotion. The daily offices are not meant to replace extemporaneous and conversational prayer. However, extemporaneous prayer is best built on the foundation of the church's liturgical prayer. When prayer consists only of extemporaneous prayer, one's life of prayer again tends to be unbalanced. It will in general drift towards intercession at the expense of praise confession and thanksgiving. The daily offices provide a structural balance. One can use the fixed forms of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication as points of departure for extemporaneous prayers in each category. A central issue for the life of prayer and the praying of the daily offices is time. If we are to pray the offices each day, time must be made for it. This gets at what is perhaps the most important point of this session. Our faith is incarnational. What we believe cannot be separated from what we do. If Jesus is our Lord and Savior, if we are depending upon him for daily bread, for guidance, for protection, for forgiveness and peace, 
then it follows that we must make time for prayer. Here, most people will be challenged as to priorities. We can usually find time for things we consider to be important. Why is it, for example, that we can easily spend a half hour with the morning paper but can't find 15 minutes for prayer? We live in a very busy world, and the nature of the busyness is such that the essentials of the spiritual life usually get crowded out. This is a demonic element of the modern world. We must be militant and diligent to combat it. Holy behavior flows out of prayer. If we will not pray, we cannot do what Christ asks of us. Therefore, if we are serious about our faith, we will make time for prayer. Another issue is when. When will we pray? At what times of the day? Different people have different schedules. Each person should schedule prayer in a manner that will work. There are morning people and evening people. There are parents with many children, and there are others who live alone. There is not one rule that will work for everyone, but there are some principles that should govern the enterprise. Number one, pray first. Have a time for morning prayer first thing. If it is necessary to have a cup of coffee or a shower first, then do so. But make time for prayer before the activities of the day begin. Once the activities of the day begin, there will be no time for prayer. Evenings can be trickier, especially in a family setting. However, make every effort to have a time for prayer in the transition between the activities of the day and the activities of the night. The main peril of saying the office at bedtime is that it is very hard to stay awake. An earlier evening time, again, before one begins the activities of, of the evening, is uh, a good goal to shoot for. Number two, establish reasonable patterns of prayer. In beginning the daily offices, don't be like the overly enthusiastic person who begins a far too ambitious exercise program and burns out within a month. It is better to have two very brief fixed times of prayer each day with very abbreviated forms of the offices and actually pray this way for a year or two than it is to attempt all of morning and evening prayer, get overwhelmed, and quit in two weeks. Number three, include the family in the habits of prayer. Even if the rest of the family is not ready for all of morning and or evening prayer, establish some daily family habit perhaps a short Bible reading followed by the creed, the Lord's Prayer, one of the two fixed collects from one of the offices in the grace. Or one can look at the short forms of prayer on pages 592 and 593 of the Book of Common Prayer. Number four, when you fall, get up and start again. The key word in this regard is when, not if. Once you establish habits of prayer, there will be times when things conspire against you so that you will begin to neglect prayer. The point of establishing times for prayer is to aid in your spiritual growth, not to make you feel guilty when you don't pray. When you fail to pray as you planned, simply begin again with prayers the next day. Don't make the next day's prayers longer and harder to try to make up for lost time. Accept God's grace and start anew. Number five, persevere. If there is one overriding biblical message concerning prayer, it is that we should continue to pray. See Luke chapter 11, 1 through 13. 
and Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. However meager your efforts at prayer seem to be, keep working at the life of prayer. It will bear much fruit. The conclusion of this session is, get a book of common prayer and a Bible and begin to use them daily.